Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of America. This is kind of an interesting time for me just because my oldest son is graduating university. My youngest son has just gone into training for the U.S. Air Force. My oldest son will be going into officer training school for the U.S. Marine Corps. This is an interesting year, and this was a special year for us as it pertains to Easter weekend because I was not with my boys. Our, 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 we're now official empty nesters. And as I was thinking about Easter weekend, I wanted to write a special article. So I put up an article on Back to Jerusalem and shared about how that day changed history forever. The day that we remember for Easter weekend. Now, we we call it Easter weekend. A lot of Christians get offended by that because they feel that Easter is a pagan holiday, refers to a pagan holiday, and they believe that uh, it is something that we should not celebrate with that name. A lot of Christians like to call it Resurrection Sunday. I'm totally fine with that. A lot of Christians have a problem with Easter egg hunts and the Easter bunny because it refers to like a, a, a god or goddess in the Greek-Roman culture. And they have a lot of well-founded arguments about the Emperor Constantine as he tried to reshape Christianity and started to make these days, the, the celebrations of Christmas, closely representing the traditions and celebrations of the pagan rituals. And so there is a lot of well-founded information out there that you can find on the internet. And, and sometimes people get just a little bit too religious about it. And that's, that's one of the things that I wanted to point out. Now, it, don't be offended if you do not celebrate Easter by having an Easter bunny at your house or having an Easter egg hunt or having Easter baskets uh, outside of your door when you wake up in the morning on Easter morning. I grew up in a very non-religious family. We didn't go to church except for once a year. My grandmother would take us all out, her grandchildren. Uh, I had three younger sisters. She would take us out every uh, week just before Easter and buy us an Easter outfit. So it was tradition, even though I grew up in a poor area of America to have an Easter outfit, it was tradition to go to church on Easter Sunday. It was tradition to do an Easter egg hunt. It was tradition to have Easter baskets outside of our house or outside on the porch when we woke up in the morning. That was tradition. We kept that tradition my whole time growing up. I don't remember an Easter morning when I woke up where I was not wearing new clothes and where I did not have an Easter basket outside on the porch outside of my door on Easter morning. With that being said, my children did not grow up with an Easter bunny. They did not grow up with an Easter egg basket outside of the door. We celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, 
I did not make a big deal about it with other Christians. I didn't educate them. I didn't browbeat them. I didn't attack them. I didn't tell them how inferior they were as Christians and how superior I was as a Christian. I had a personal conviction. I do like the word Easter, though. I know a lot of Christians do not like it. I didn't like it. I've actually spoken out against it as I've preached on Easter Sunday when I was younger. As I got older, and especially after I just did the book China and End Time Prophecy, a book that we just did about a year ago, produced by Back to Jerusalem and set it out, and I talk about the eastward direct or the westward direction from the east of the gospel message and how God has always been approached from east to to west, how the gospel message as it even starts in Jerusalem moved westward. So you have this movement going from east to west and this idea of the Messiah coming from the east, moving to the west, approaching God, coming from the east, going to the west. We have that in the Garden of Eden where when Adam and Eve were removed from the presence of God, they were moved further east. This is a geographical movement that is representative. Throughout the entire Bible, we see this representation of God being approached from east to west, God being, or being, God pushing people away from his presence by moving them further east. We see this when Cain kills his brother. We see this when Lot allows his nephew to choose which direction he would go. He goes to toward Sodom and Gomorrah to the east. Abraham goes to the west. We see that with the temple itself, you always approach the holiest of holies from east to west. We see this with the Mount of Olives where the Messiah will return again. It's, that is to the east of Jerusalem. And then the Messiah will come through the eastern gate from the Mount of Olives. We see that in Isaiah, Ezekiel, Revelation. And with that, that is an east to west movement. So this idea of Easter, the Germanic word saying coming from the east or from an eastern direction. Now I kind of embrace that as a prophetic name for the word Easter. When Jesus uh, comes in in his symbolic triumphant ride on a donkey for Palm Sunday, we see also that east to west movement. When the disciples were sent out in Acts chapter 1, as Jesus ascended into heaven, he sends them out from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem. That's east to west. So I write about this day that changed the world forever on Easter. And that day that changed the world forever was the resurrection of Jesus Christ when he conquered death. That day that we celebrate on Easter Sunday or Resurrection Day or Resurrection Sunday, however you want to name it, the power of that day stays true, regardless of what label you give it, arose by any other name. When we see this day in history, it changed the church forever. It changed the world forever. Why? Well, one of the things that I wanted to point out is that Christians, every since that day, have celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ every week. So when we come together every week on Sunday morning, we are celebrating 
the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are celebrating that Jesus conquered death and our salvation is assured through him because he took our sins upon the cross, gave his life for you and me, and then rose again. Guys, this is the essence of the good news. This is elementary to understanding what Christ did for us. And we celebrate in that resurrection power every single week by joining together on Sunday. Now, it is very important to understand that Sunday is not the Sabbath. Christians are commanded to keep the Sabbath holy. That is not Sunday. So if you consider Sunday to be the Sabbath, that is not the day that we see that God gave to the Jews and the Jewish people to bless the entire world with this idea of having one day a week that you set aside for rest, just as God set aside the day for rest. And we rest in Him on this day, the Sabbath. What happened with the disciples, and I'm going to get into this more, what happened with the disciples is that there was a day of rest, the Sabbath, and then the first day of the week was the Lord's day, the day the Lord resurrected. And I'm going to talk about that, but one of the primary reasons that I'm doing this is because there are often people that will try to be almost like spiritual bullies and, and condemn you whether you keep the Sabbath or you don't keep the Sabbath, where you, whether you worship on Sunday or you don't worship on Sunday. One of, one of the primary symptoms, I believe, of an inactive Christian is piety, or to put it another way, religious purity. A bored Christian or bored Christians that have faculty for their faith find purpose in God. Sorry, Christians that have faculty for their faith. Bored Christians that have no faith, faculty for their faith or no action for their faith or, or no, no outlet for their faith don't find purpose in their calling. They find purpose in being religious bullies. Let me say that again, to put it another way. Bored Christians that have no outlet for their faith find their purpose, not in the will of God, but in being religious bullies. And I don't know why. I don't know why, but there are Christians that want to make themselves feel better, feel more elite, by attacking you for your views or your practices. They, they somehow find purpose in conflict. They find salvation in being right. And when they engage you in arguments and they talk about you know, what you should be doing, what you should not be doing, how to follow God, how not to follow God, uh, there, there is a difference between somebody that is trying to uplift you, somebody that is trying to make you better, somebody that is trying to join you on your walk so that both of you can get better together, there is a difference between somebody who is looking for answers, somebody who's trying to provide you with answers, and, and, and somebody that is simply looking to argue. 
people that find purpose in conflict are not looking for knowledge when they engage you in conversation. They're not looking for conversation. They're, they are looking to be these like religious Gestapos that look for impurities in your blood. They're, they're looking, they're, they're wanting to portray themselves as the pure blood Christians and that you have impurities in your blood. So that somehow, I don't even really know why, perhaps it's because so many people today, Christians today, instead of engaging in what they were called to do in the ministry that God has given them, instead they have searched for security and found it in a boring job. They have searched for uh, accolades in the world and have found themselves in a position, no matter how powerful, no matter uh, how wealthy, no matter uh, how influential, they, they don't find the gratification of walking in the will of God because instead they're following after their own earthly desires and they find their religious faculty instead criticizing the faith of others. And so they feel they are pure bloods and they search for people that have impurity in their practice. In this podcast, what I'm hoping to do is help you as a Christian to be free from the control that these spiritual bullies try to put on you. Because Christians like you, you were made for spiritual battle. We have a common enemy and we have a common savior. But when a Christian does not know their purpose or they're not walking in their purpose, they often find secondhand satisfaction for lack of purpose with providing the world with a type of purity test. Some Christians find satisfaction in finding faults with the smallest of things in the lives of others. Jesus talked about this all the time and it's sad. This is sad, especially today. In a day and age where the world does not know the difference between a man and a woman. When the state of California right now as I'm doing this podcast is trying to pass laws making infanticide or killing babies after they're born legal. Christians want to argue about whether you should eat pork celebrate break Christmas with a Christmas tree, or in this case, go to church on Sunday. <laughs> Unfortunately, there are Christians that want to argue with other Christians about whether to go to church on Sunday or not. I, listen, I don't, if you do not go to church on Sunday and you go to church on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I don't give a rip. I believe that it is, there is power in the gathering of the body of Christ, regardless of what day, 24-7, you can do it. But there is a celebration that takes place around the world every Sunday for a reason. And you can either participate in that celebration or not. You can participate in that celebration on a different day if you like or not. But Sunday is the day that Jesus rose again and Christians have been celebrating his resurrection on that day for more than 2,000 years. Like I said, this does not replace the Sabbath. Sunday is not the Sabbath, 
but Christians have been meeting for over 2,000 years on Sunday because of this one powerful day when Jesus resurrected again. The reason I'm doing this podcast is because we had someone on our social media that came out pretty aggressive and they're attacking this very simple, what I thought to be a unifying idea. They wanted to argue on social media. And to be honest with you guys, I have never really found arguing on social media productive. I've done it a lot. I've participated in a lot and I have found it futile. Why? Because most people are not looking to find information. They're looking to win an argument. And I am willing to lose that argument in my search for truth. I, I really am. Because the truth is, I have so many things that I simply do not know about God. I have so many things that I simply do not know about the Bible. What I do know about God and what I do know about the Bible is far outweighed by the things that I do not know. The trap that many Christians, I believe, feel is that they often feel, including myself, that we need to know everything about God and everything about the Bible. And though we are instructed by the Bible to be slow to speak and quick to listen, we live in a world where Christians have to be quick to form an opinion about everything. We have to know where do you stand as a Christian on Pepsi's support of abortion? We have to know where do you as a Christian fall on the idea of speaking in tongues, on Disney's stance on, on gay children, on what side should you take for Ukraine or should you support Russia? How should Christians feel about the extramarital affairs of Donald Trump? How should Christians listen to Tupac or different rappers or, or should Christians pay more tax? The answer to that one is no. Paying more taxes don't make you more Christian. It just makes you stupid. But when I look at this, the point is that I have so many things about God and the Bible that I simply do not know. And I can't pretend to know. I need to learn more. I know that I need to learn more. I need to read my Bible more. I don't read my Bible enough. I need to be closer to God. I'm not close enough. I need to be ready to be wrong about a lot of things. I have beliefs today that I still embrace that about God in the Bible that are simply wrong. Guys, I have a doctorate's degree in theology and I am none the wiser for it. In fact, the more I learn about God, the more I become embarrassingly aware of how ignorant I really am. And though I don't know a lot, that does not mean I will be bullied. And this is something that you need to recognize when you come in, whether it's social media confrontation or face-to-face -face confrontation with a spiritual bully, you need to make sure that you don't change your ideas for fear of being rejected by the environment because of the influence of a freaking bully. You know what I hate more than ignorance? 
bullies. Worse than bullies, spiritual bullies. Because they're not really wanting to help you in a conversation. They don't even sometimes even want you to convert. They just want to bully you so that they themselves can find satisfaction in that spiritual superiority. I say they, but I really should say we. Because I found myself in that camp all the time. Where I argue with people, not really in a conversation, not really to find knowledge, not really to learn more, not really to become a better Christian, not really to have spiritual growth, not really to understand the person that I'm talking with, not really to learn from someone else as iron sharpens iron, but instead, I want to be right. My pride demands it. I'm not the ignorant one in this conversation. You are the ignorant one. And because I'm only silent during the time that I'm formulating my own argument as you're speaking, you think that I'm listening, but I'm not. I'm only taking that time to launch my next ambush. We don't learn this way. Which leads me to someone who came onto our social media and they made a comment. Now, I've been blocked by uh, for most of our social media. So I'm not able, for instance, for the Back to Jerusalem Facebook page. I, I don't even have my Eugene Bach Facebook page anymore. I've been blocked from my account. I was blocked from the Back to Jerusalem Facebook account many years ago, even though I'm the one that started it. So it's being run by someone else. And from time to time, we get comments that the moderator who is running the Back to Jerusalem account doesn't always know how to properly answer. So we get someone who had read the article that we wrote about Sunday being this weekly celebration of the resurrection of Christ and how on Easter we can celebrate knowing that we have been celebrating every Sunday because of this one day for more than 2,000 years. And you would think that that's a unifying fact that brings all Christians together. But somebody disagreed, which is fine. I love people that disagree. And the person that disagreed, we invited them onto this podcast, but they never responded. They never accepted the invitation. And I wish they would have. But because I can't do this podcast with them, I will instead do this podcast about them. And so they came onto the social media as we shared about Easter Sunday, changing the world forever. And the, a, a lady writes, her name is Eileen, and she says this on social media. Yes, such a good point about witnesses, plural in many of them. But two questions. Where does it say that Jesus taught others to do the same regarding Sabbath observance? You should really quote chapter and verse when citing something Jesus apparently said. He is our Sabbath rest, the Prince of Peace indwelling, 2 Corinthians 13 and 5. I'm actually just off of Main Street in a northern town in Stowe, Vermont. So you just heard a police siren going by. I don't think they're coming for me. But um, anyway, if you're wondering where that sound came from, that's outside on Main Street from where I'm at right now. I'm doing the podcast as I do every week on my phone. But Eileen goes on to say, and he said unto them, quoting Jesus, quoting the Bible rather, 
Then quoting Jesus, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is the Lord also of the Sabbath. Mark 2, 27-28. Also Hebrews 3, 11 and 4, 1 and 11, she writes, Again, he limited a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also had ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Secondly, this is still Eileen writing, Celebrating Resurrection Day in Sunday is tradition. She capitalized tradition in all caps. Almost, I guess, yelling at me maybe? I don't know. We are never commanded in the New Testament to celebrate it. So to paraphrase Paul, let one celebrate if he wishes, but let it not be a burden. After all, having been raised from spiritual death to new life, if we're regenerate, John chapter 1, 12 to 13, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 6, we celebrate his resurrection every day, all day long. Hallelujah. So we have this. Sorry, my I just lost my mic on my t-shirt. I'm wearing a t-shirt and I dropped my mic. So at, at, we have this comment on social media. So we wrote back and we said, Eileen, this is the Back to Jerusalem moderator, writes back and says, Eileen, if you are truly curious for our response and have a conversation about this, you are welcome to join our podcast. And she wrote back, Back to Jerusalem, I'll be waiting for a verse that says Jesus taught others to do the same regarding Sabbath observance. It's an important issue, especially because Hebrew roots people are becoming more and more ubiquitous and dangerous, and that comment plays into their hands. Therefore, your reply is a bit flippant. You could either A, come up with a verse, or B, take note and agree that maybe it's one or the other, i.e., he either taught it or didn't. So we write back again, Eileen, why do you say, oh, sorry, no, Eileen wrote this. Why do you say if you are curious? I don't spend time writing comments for nothing. Only to exhort and edify. Exhort and edify, that's interesting. So again, we write, Eileen, again, we'd love to have you on our podcast for Eugene to discuss this with you. If not, he said he will still be addressing these concerns on our next podcast. Internet discussions aren't something we like to take part in. So we extended several invitations for Eileen to come and join us on the podcast. She chose not to. So Eileen says in her comments on our social media that there's a couple things that she's worried about. So what I want to do, because this is important, I'm sure there's a lot of people that probably read that article, might be thinking the same as you, Eileen. I wanted to bring you on, not to attack you, but to have a real conversation. I wanted to bring you on to have you lay out your points and then us to lay out ours and to see where we can find truth in God's word. Let's not just assume from the beginning, Eileen, that I have all the answers. And let's not assume that you have them either. Let's assume that together we can find them.
So Eileen said that she's worried about the Hebrew roots movement. If you're not familiar with that, the, that's those Christians that have become so fanatical about the Jewish law that they begin to make it a, a, a requirement for all Christians. And that's a different podcast. I understand where she's coming from completely. So Eileen is worried that the kind of comments that I have made plays right into their hands by saying that Sunday does not replace the Sabbath. <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not a Hebrews roots person. Eileen, I love bacon cheeseburgers. I eat pork. I rarely observe the Sabbath on the traditional day of the Sabbath. I, I do something that I like to call a collection of Sabbaths. Because of my work schedule, where I'm traveling on a regular basis, I'm not always able to observe Saturday in the, in, uh, for a day of rest. So what I do is I take a collective day of rest to observe the Sabbath. I'm not very draconian about it. I do a lot of things that are considered to be a sin for Jews. So I would not say that I'm a part of the Hebrew roots movement. But I would also say that I try to be very honest. So in that spirit of honesty, let's go through your questions, starting with number one. You write this. Why does it say that Jesus taught others to do the same regarding the Sabbath? You should really quote chapter and verse when citing something that Jesus apparently said. Eileen, let me make this super, super easy for you by asking a question. Do you believe that Jesus is God? Is Jesus God? Because if you say no, this argument needs to be put on pause because if you do not believe that Jesus is God, we have a much bigger disagreement. For me, personally, I believe very much in John chapter 1, verse 1, that says, In the beginning was the Word, capital W, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That Jesus and the Father are one and the same. So, when you're asking about why should we observe the Sabbath, oh, I don't know, because it's only a commandment by God. In fact, I would say it might even be in his top 10. That... Of the Ten Commandments, observing the Sabbath comes in number four. It's kind of in the top five. The fourth commandment, which you can find in Exodus chapter 20, points out that we are to observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. Eileen points out that maybe Jesus changes this, which is a common argument. And where does she get that? Well, she says where she gets it in Mark chapter 2. So let's go to Mark chapter 2, verse 23. And let's look at honestly, not to prove Eileen right or myself right or her wrong and me wrong, but let's just look at what the Bible says. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began picking some heads off of the grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And he answered, Have you never heard what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priest to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. 
Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. What that would seem to indicate is that Jesus is getting rid of the Sabbath. First thing to look at is that here we see that Jesus is doing the very thing that I feel we're doing with this podcast, which is rebuffing spiritual bullies. Look, look at what they're doing on the Sabbath. This judgmental attitude towards Jesus because Jesus was breaking some law, not following something that really didn't mean that much in the realm of being salvation. Are people going to be saved or or damned because they ate on the Sabbath? Do you think that God is so petty? Just as some judgmental Christians might say, why are you why are you saying to keep the Sabbath? Jesus said to not keep it, for the Sabbath was made for man, not for the Sabbath. That's the argument that's being made here. So there's a there's a judgment that's taking place. A judgment that was brought on to back to Jerusalem or myself specifically, saying, Why are you saying to keep the Sabbath? When Jesus said not to keep it, for the Sabbath was made for man. Not man for the Sabbath. Sounds like a logical argument. But are you saying then that Jesus was doing away with the Sabbath? Because if that's your argument, it might fit into that verse, but it does not fit into the context of the life and teachings of Jesus in the New Testament. Context is everything. No, Jesus did not say to do away with the Sabbath. God said not to do work, not to labor, to set aside the day as holy. But when you become a legalist, legalists have a way of making not working work. The Sabbath didn't forbid doing good, it forbid working laboring. Why? Because that was a day set aside for resting, resting in him. Here's the secret. You don't have to keep the Sabbath. Christians violate the Sabbath every week. Most Christians, not every Christian, but I would say the majority of Christians that are not Judaic Christians violate the Sabbath every week and they do so without even thinking bad about it. I don't religiously keep the Sabbath in a traditional way. Like I said, I usually have like a collective of Sabbaths. I set aside a group of days as my Sabbath because of my role that I play in our ministry. I will say this, our relationship with God, I believe, is weakened when we do not keep the Sabbath. And I say that as someone who violates the Sabbath. So for the Eileen's out there that are currently hyperventilating, saying, no, that is a religious law, then we don't have to keep it because Jesus said that he is Lord over the Sabbath. The first thing that I would ask you as a listener is, do you love Christ? 
Everything that I'm going to say from here on out is predicated on this one single questions. question. Do you love Christ? Because Jesus said, John chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Not keep my commandments so that you can earn salvation, but if you love me. You see, keeping the commandments of God is, is an outpouring of our love for Him. It's not legalism. It's not do this so that you can earn favor. It's not keep the laws of God so that you can earn salvation. You can't earn it. You've already violated the laws of God. But the closer you grow to Christ, the more you love Him, the more you keep His commandments. And here's how I see this exchange in Mark chapter 2. If I'm to be honest, and I'm not saying that my vision is correct, but the way that I discern it is, and you don't have to agree with this. In fact, I would say come to your own conclusions. Do not agree with me just because I'm saying this. I want you to really dig in and find out what do you believe. And what I'm saying in this podcast, I hope either whether you agree with what I'm saying or not, it can at least help you in that journey of discovery. Because this podcast cannot be a substitute for your own study. During the days of Jesus, the rabbis and the scribes that are described here in Mark chapter 2, they had become so strict that they accused Jesus' disciples of breaking the Sabbath. Why? Because they picked some grain and they ate while they were walking through the field on the Sabbath because they were hungry. Jesus did other things that violated the Sabbath rules, at least in the eyes of the Pharisees and the, and the scribes as well. He healed on the Sabbath, and this enraged all kinds of religious leaders. God gave the law to encourage the Israelites to love Him and to love others. And when it comes to the commandments, even the Ten Commandments, including the Fourth Commandment of remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, we need to remember that all commandments of God are based on love. I've done a podcast on this before. You can find this in our archives. I won't, I won't tease it out too much, but I need you to know that everything that I say is based on this one foundational idea that all commands and laws of God are based on on love. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. It's a pyramid that bases everything else on that. The next, love others as you love yourself. If you love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, then you will love that which He creates. Meaning that you will naturally love others if you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And if you love others, then the other commandments naturally start to extend from there. You're not going to rob, cheat, or steal from those that you love. You're not going to envy or kill those that you love. So the Ten Commandments naturally derive themselves from the first, to love your, the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Even the commandment to love or respect your parents. Your parents gave you life just as God gave them life. You love them because you love God. 
I believe that I can make a logical argument on even the dietary rules extend from love from God. God had given the law to encourage Israelites to love him and to love others. And this day of rest is to rest in him just as two lovers take a date night. Just as a, a, a man and his wife will take time alone, a stroll, a walk, something that is not laborsome, something that is not work, but something that is enjoyable and resting for both of them. That's what God wants of us, to rest in Him. And that's why this one day of the week is set aside so that we can rest in Him. One of the things that we have found is that those that take this one day of rest are actually more productive in their work by doing this not less productive. It might seem that you lose an entire day out of the week of not being able to work or make money or extend your business or grow your profits. But what we have found is that those that do take the Sabbath are blessed because of it. And Eileen, I would say that anybody out there that is listening, that is thinking along the same lines that, yeah, God got rid of the Sabbath or Jesus did away with the Sabbath because he showed that you don't really need to observe the Sabbath because he is the Lord of the Sabbath and the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. I would be very careful when promoting the idea that Jesus came to get rid of the Sabbath. Because it's one of the primary laws that is listed in the Ten Commandments. And Jesus said very, very clearly in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, 17, Do not, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. God never prohibited doing good on the Sabbath. That's the message. The Pharisees acted as if God had created people so that he would have someone to keep the Sabbath. But Jesus clarified that God had given the Sabbath as a gift, not as a law that is to hang around the necks of people to drag them down and be a burden. That's only extra work. He created this day to be a gift. There's also the argument, well, the rest is found in Jesus, not in a day of the week. Then why did God create? Did, or was there rest not found with God? Did Adam not have rest with God? Did God not have rest in himself? Because God says that he took a day of rest. Are you saying that God does not have rest in himself that he can't enjoy every day? You see how that theory starts to fall apart when we, when we see that Jesus and God are one. I don't say this to be legalistic. I say this as someone who admits that I don't keep the laws. In fact, nobody does. For it's impossible. Almost Many of the laws have to do with the temple, and those laws cannot be kept. Do we find our rest in Jesus? Yes, absolutely. Does that mean that we no longer observe the Sabbath? I, as someone who does not traditionally follow the Sabbath, disagree. 
We find our rest in Jesus, but we are commanded to keep the Sabbath and keep it holy. So careful. If you have that belief, great. But what I am amazed by is those that aggressively wield their understanding of the Bible like a religious sword to cut down others that don't agree. What does that do for the church? Eileen goes on to say this with her second question. Secondly, she writes, celebrating Resurrection Day is a tradition. Again, I'll capitalize so I can only assume she's yelling at me. We are never commanded in the New Testament to celebrate it. So, to paraphrase Paul, let one celebrate it if he wishes, but let it not be a burden. Who in the world said that we are commanded to keep the tradition of celebrating Jesus' resurrection day on Sunday? It is a celebration. The Sabbath was commanded. Sunday, as a day of celebration for Christians, is not commanded. And I never said it was commanded. Do you not know how to take the joy out of a celebration? It's to make rules, to make it mandatory. That's how you suck the joy out of a celebration. The disciples didn't celebrate on Sundays because they were commanded to. They didn't do it because they, they had to do it by law. They didn't do it because they wanted to create a new religion. They did it out of relationship. They did it out of love. They did it out of celebration. Eileen, my wife and I have been married for more than 23 years. And you know what? There's no law that says we need to celebrate the day that we were married. There's not a commandment by God that says we need to remember our wedding anniversary every year and keep it holy. But guess what? We do. (laughs) Are you going to tell me, well, it's tradition, capital letters. The Bible says that we don't recognize tradition because we are the bride and, and Christ is the groom. Therefore, we do not need to recognize our earthly brides and our earthly grooms because Jesus is the real groom and we are the real bride. Christ is Lord over weddings. Of course he's the, he's the Lord over weddings. Of course he is the groom. Of course we are the bride. But it would be foolish, at least in my mind, to discourage people to celebrate, celebrate their anniversaries. To remember that joyous day when they were married. Not by law, but by celebration. Are there couples out there that don't recognize their, their, their anniversary? They don't remember it? They don't, they don't celebrate it? Of course, there probably is. Am I going to go out and search them and give them biblical references on why they should keep it? No. It's a celebration. I enjoy it. If you don't, more power to you. Christians do not need to celebrate on Sundays because they have to. We do it because we want to. And if you say that we celebrate it every day, my question is, who do you think you're talking to? 
Do you not realize that I work with the underground house church in China and I've done it for more than 20 years? I've had meetings in Iran, North Korea, Sudan on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, every day of the week, during the day, in the middle of the night, in the late mornings, in the early mornings, in the dark hours of the mornings. I have had church on every day at every hour possible in some of the most remote areas on earth, in hotels, in businesses, in cubicles, in factories, in caves, in wineries. I, I would, in fact, put the number of times that I've celebrated with the body of Christ on a day that's other than Sunday up against your days that you've celebrated with the body of Christ on a day that is not Sunday. And I'm not saying that to say that I'm somehow better than you or more qualified to make that statement. I'm just saying that to make the argument that you do not own the title of knowing more. Time does not mean jack squat to me. But I wanted to share one simple unifying idea that I thought would bring us together as Christians. And that is this, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ changed the world. And it wouldn't help the, the, the disciples at all if we were to say that the disciples didn't observe the Sabbath. If you read your Bible, you will find, regardless of what you interpret, because if we interpret something from the Bible and the disciples do something different, we have to see why is there this, this difference. Could it be that that which I think is opposite of what the disciples are doing from what the words of Jesus was maybe my misunderstanding or maybe there's a misunderstanding of what Jesus actually said or what I'm thinking that he said. If the two don't match up, if there's something that I'm interpreting from the word of God that doesn't fit into context, I need to reevaluate what that is that I'm interpreting. Because you would find the disciples observed the Sabbath before the life of Jesus, during the life of Jesus, and after the life of Jesus. After the resurrection, the disciples who followed Jesus, and I would argue that because they were with Jesus when he spoke, when he ate, when he slept, when he lived, when he walked, when he preached, when he taught, they lived these three years of Jesus' ministry together with him. They walked the roads, they saw the miracles, they witnessed the crowds, they heard his teaching, they felt the intimacy together with him in a way that you and I have never done. Yes, Jesus lives inside of me. Yes, Jesus has taught me. Yes, I can read his Bible. But there was something special about those disciples that they were able to be in physical communion with Jesus. And when Jesus resurrected again, and he ascended into heaven, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they still observed the Sabbath. In the book of Acts alone, this is important to hear, this is important to understand, in the book of Acts alone, which only has 28 chapters, the disciples are said to observe the Sabbath 85 times. So for somebody who says that we don't need to keep the Sabbath, you need to be very careful. 
when in the book of Acts, the disciples are still observing the Sabbath. And then, for reasons that I believe are directly related to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the disciples taught on Sundays, gathered on Sundays, the first day of the week. And they preached the message of Jesus Christ on Sundays, the first day of the week. Acts chapter 20, verse 7, on the first day of the week, this is Sunday, we came together to break bread. Break bread? Why? To remember the crucifixion and the resurrection? Oh, that's why. Perhaps you could write a social media post to Paul and comment on his social media page telling him to meet on another day because man should not keep tradition. The first day of the week represents the day that Jesus resurrected. He conquered the grave. It also represents the new day of creation. And we have celebrated this new day of creation every week since the resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul writes clearly, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of the week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. Mark 16, 9 is where we get the term the Lord's day. Why? Because it says, and I quote, Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, Eileen, you and I agree on so, so much. Let's not be legalistic. Let's also not be legalistic about not being legalistic. Instead, let's just simply acknowledge that Christians have kept this tradition for more than 2,000 years, and it is not a law. And if you do not keep the tradition and don't go to church on Sundays, you're not damning your salvation. If people want to go to church on Sundays and follow after Christ, they're not breaking or violating any law. They are merely coming together to celebrate the weekly anniversary of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which... And my humble belief does not take away from the rest that we find on observing the Sabbath and keeping it holy. My hope is this podcast can bring information to you, whether you agree with it or not, that will help you on your journey of fully understanding on where you stand when it comes to the Sabbath. Do you feel that you need to keep it weekly? as the Bible instructs. If you do, do it. And don't become a legalistic block for others. If people come to you and they ask you about why you observe the Sabbath, be ready to share with them why. But don't go and attacking others on social media because maybe they write something that you don't agree with. That's not how we grow as a body. We grow in conversations. Conversations that I was hoping we could have on this podcast that sadly we did not. But I did want to address it because it's something that I believe that you and I can benefit from this understanding that every week for 2,000 years, we have remembered the greatest event in human history. The crucifixion, 
of our Lord Jesus Christ for our sins and his resurrection from the death, his conquering of sin, and his promise that we would be with him one day for eternity. I want to thank you so much for joining us for another Back to Jerusalem podcast again. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of America. God bless.